chapter 13 Worship that pleases God Mark 12:30 Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength God wants all of you God doesn't want a part of your life he asks for all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength God is not interested in half-hearted commitment, partial obedience, and the leftovers of your time and money. He desires your full devotion and not little bits of your life. A Samaritan woman once tried to debate Jesus on the best time, place, and style for worship. Jesus replied that these external issues are irrelevant. Where you worship is not as important as why you worship and how much of yourself you offer to God when you worship. There is a right and a wrong way to worship. The Bible says, Let us be grateful and worship God in a way that will please him. The kind of worship that pleases God has four characteristics. 1. God is pleased when our worship is accurate. People often say, I like to think of God as and then they share their idea of the kind of God they would like to worship. But we cannot just create our own comfortable or politically correct image of God and worship it. That is idolatry. Worship must be based on the truth of scripture, not our opinions about God. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, "True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks." To worship in truth means to worship God as he is truly revealed in the Bible. 2. God is pleased when our worship is authentic. When Jesus said you must worship in spirit, he wasn't referring to the Holy Spirit, but to your spirit. Made in God's image, you are a spirit that resides in a body, and God designed your spirit to communicate with him. Worship is your spirit responding to God's spirit. When Jesus said, "Love God with all your heart and soul," he meant that worship must be genuine and heartfelt. It is not just a matter of saying the right words. You must mean what you say. Heartless praise is not praise at all. It is worthless as an insult to God. When we worship, God looks past our words to see the attitude of our hearts. The Bible says, "Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart." Since worship involves delighting in God, it engages your emotions. God gave you emotions so you could worship him with deep feeling, but those emotions must be genuine, not faked. God hates hypocrisy. He doesn't want showmanship or pretense or foreignness in worship. He wants your honest, real love. We can worship God imperfectly, but we cannot worship him in 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 sincerity. Of course, sincerity alone is not enough. You can be sincerely wrong. That's why both spirit and truth are required. Worship must be both accurate and authentic. God pleasing worship is deeply emotional and deeply doctrinal. We use both our hearts and our heads. Today, many equate being emotionally moved by music as being moved by the spirit, but these are not the same. Real worship happens when your spirit responds to God, not to some musical tone. In fact, some sentimental, introspective songs hinder worship because they take the spotlight off God and focus on our feelings. Your biggest distraction in worship is yourself, your interests and your worries over what others think about you. Christians often often differ on the most appropriate or authentic way to express praise to God. But these arguments usually usually just reflect personality and background differences. 
Many forms of praise are mentioned in the Bible, among them confessing, singing, shouting, standing in honor, kneeling, dancing, making a joyful noise, testifying, playing music instruments, and raising hands. The best style of worship is the one that most authentically represents your love for God, based on the background and personality God gave you. My friend Gary Thomas noticed that many Christians seem stuck in a worship rut and unsatisfying routine instead of having a vibrant friendship with God because they force themselves to use devotional methods or worship styles that don't fit the way God uniquely shaped them. Gary wondered, if God intentionally made us all different, why should everyone be accepted to love God in the same way? As he read Christian classics and interviewed mature believers, Gary discovered that some Christians have used many different paths for 2,000 years to enjoy intimacy with God, being outdoors, studying, singing, reading, dancing, creating art, serving others, having solitude, enjoying fellowship, and participating in dozens of other activities. In his book, Sacred Pathways, Gary identifies nine of the ways people draw near to God. Naturalists are most inspired to love God out of doors. In natural settings, sensates love God with their senses and appreciate beautiful worship services that involve their sight, taste, smell, and touch, not just their ears. Traditionalists draw closer to God through rituals, liturgies, symbols, and unchanging structures. Ascetics prefer to love God in solitude and simplicity. Activists love God through confronting evil, battling injustice, and working to make the world a better place. Caregivers love God by loving others and meeting their needs. Enthusiasts love God through celebration. Contemplatives love God through adoration. Intellectuals love God by studying with their minds. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to worship and friendship with God. One thing is certain, you don't bring glory to God by trying to be someone he never intended you to be. God wants you to be yourself. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. 3. God is pleased when our worship is thoughtful. Jesus' command to love God with all your mind is repeated four times in the New Testament. God is not pleased with thoughtfulness, singing of hymns, perfunctory praying of cliches or careless exclamations of praise the Lord, because we can't think of anything else to say at that moment. If worship is mindless, it is meaningless. You must engage your mind. Jesus called thoughtless worship vain repetitions. Even biblical terms can become tired cliches from overuse, and we stop thinking about the meaning. It is so much easier to offer cliches in worship instead of making the effort to honor God with fresh words and ways. This is why I encourage you to read scripture in different translations and paraphrases. It will expand your express of worship. Try praising God without using the words praise, hallelujah, thanks or amen. Instead of saying, we just want to praise you, make a list of synonyms and use fresh words like admire, respect, value, revere, honor and appreciate. Also be specific. If someone approached you and repeated, I praise you, 10 times, you would probably think, for what? You'd rather receive two specific compliments than 20 vague generalities. So would God. Another idea is to make a list of the different names of God and focus on them. God's names are not arbitrary. They tell us about different aspects of his character. 
In the Old Testament, God gradually revealed himself to Israel by introducing new names for himself, and he commands us to praise his name. God wants our corporate worship gatherings to be thoughtful too. Paul devotes an entire chapter on this in 1 Corinthians 14 and concludes, everything should be done in a fitting and an order, orderly way. Related to this, God insists that our worship services be un understandable to unbelievers when they represent in our worship gathering. Paul observed, suppose some strangers are in your worship service. When you're praising God with your spirit, if they don't understand you, how will they know what to say? Amen. You may be worshiping God in a wonderful way, but no one else will be helped. Being sensitive to unbelievers who visit your worship gatherings is a biblical command. To ignore this command is to be both disobedient and unloving. For a full explanation of this, see the chapter on worship can be a witness in the purpose-driven church. 4. God is pleased when our worship is practical. The Bible says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Why God wants your body? Why doesn't he say, Offer your spirit? Because without your body, you can't do anything on this planet. In eternity, you will receive a new, improved, and upgraded body. But while you are here on earth, God says, give me what you've got. He's just being practical about worship. You have heard people say, I can't make it to the meeting tonight, but I'll be with you in spirit. Do you know what that means? Nothing. It's worthless. As long as you are on earth, your spirit can only be where your body is. If your body isn't there, neither are you. In worship, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, we usually associate the concept of sacrifice with something dead, but God wants you to be a living sacrifice. He wants you to live for Him. However, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar, and we often to do that. We sing onward Christian soldiers on Sunday, then go a wall on Monday. In the Old Testament, God took pleasure in the many sacrifices of worship because they foretold of Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. Now, God is pleased with different sacrifices on worship, thanksgiving, praise, humility, repentance, offerings of money, prayer, serving others, and sharing with those in need. Real worship costs. David knew this and said, I will not offer to the Lord my God my sacrifices that have cost me nothing. One thing worship costs us is our self-centeredness. You cannot exalt God and yourself at the same time. You don't worship to be seen by others or to please yourself. You deliberately shift the focus of yourself. Real worship is rooted in the Word. When Jesus said, love God with all your strength, he pointed out that worship takes effort and energy. It is not always convenient as or comfortable, and sometimes worship is a sheer act of the will, a willing sacrifice. Passive worship is an oxymoron. When you praise God, even when you don't feel like it, when you get out of bed to worship when you're tired, or when you help others when you are worn out, you are offering a sacrifice of worship to God. That pleases God. Matt Redman, a worship leader in England, tells how his pastor taught his church the real meaning of worship. To show that worship is more than music, he banned all singing in their services for a period of time while they learned to worship in other ways. By the end of that time, 
Matt had written the classic song, Heart of Worship. I'll bring you more than a song, because the song itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within than the way things appear. You are looking into my heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Thinking about my purpose, point to ponder. God wants all of me. Verse to remember. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Mark 12:30. Question to consider. Which is more pleasing to God right now, my public worship or my private worship? What will I do about this? Chapter 14 When God seems distant Isaiah 8:17 The Lord has hidden himself from his people but I trust him and place my hope in him God is real no matter how you feel it is easy to worship God when things are going great in your life when he has provided food fa- friends family health and happy situations but circumstances are not always pleasant how do you worship God then What do you do when God seems a million miles away? The deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of pain, thanking God during a trial, trusting Him when tempted, surrendering when suffering, and loving Him when He seems distant. Friendships are often tested by separation and silence. You are divided by physical distance or you are unable to talk. In your friendship with God, you won't always feel close to Him. Philip Yancey has wisely noted, Any relationship involves times of closeness and times of distance. And in a relationship with God, no matter how intimate, the pendulum will swing from one side to the other. That's when worship gets difficult. To mature your friendship, God will test it with periods of seeming separation times when it feels as if he has abandoned or forgotten you. God feels a million miles away. St. John of the Cross referred to these days of spiritual dryness doubt and estrangement from God as the dark night of the soul. Harry Nowen called them the ministry of absence. A.W. Toza called them the ministry of the night. Others refers to the winter of the heart. Besides Jesus, David probably had the closest friendship with God of anyone. God took pleasure in calling him a man after my own, my own heart. Yet David frequently complained of God's apparent absence. Lord, why are you standing aloof and far away? Why do you hide when I need you the most? Why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant? Why do you ignore my cries for help? Why have you abandoned me? Of course, God hadn't really left David. And he doesn't leave you. He has promised repeatedly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But God has not promised you will always feel my presence. In fact, God admits that sometimes he hides his face from us. There are times when he appears to be MIA, missing in action in your life. Floyd McClung describes it. You wake up one morning and all your spiritual feelings are gone. You pray, but nothing happens. You rebuke the devil, but it doesn't change anything. You go through spiritual exercises. You have your friends pray for you. You confess every sin. You can imagine, then go around asking forgiveness of everyone you know. You fast, still nothing. You begin to wonder how long this spiritual gloom might last. Days? Weeks? Months? Will it ever end? It feels as if your prayer simply bounces off the feeling. In utter desperation, 
you cry out, what's the matter with me? The truth is, there is nothing wrong with you. There is a normal part of the testing and maturing of your friendship with God. Every Christian goes through it at least once, and usually several times. It is painful and disconcerting, but it is absolutely vital for the development of your faith. Knowing this gave Job hope when he could not feel God's presence in his life. He said, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I, not, I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. But he knows where I am, and when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. When God seems distant, you may feel that he is angry with you or is disciplining you for some sin. In fact, sin does disconnect us from intimate fellowship with God. We grieve God's spirit and quench our fellowship with him by disobedience, conflict with others, busyness, friendship with the world, and other sins. But often this feeling of abandonment or estrangement from God has nothing to do with sin. It is a test of faith, one, well, one we all must face. Will you continue to love, trust, obey, and worship God, even when you have no sense of his presence or visible evidence of his work in your life? The most common mistake Christians make in worship today is seeking an experience rather than seeking God. They look for a feeling, and if it happens, they conclude that they have worshipped. Wrong. In fact, God often removes our feelings so we won't depend on them. Seeking a feeling, even the feeling of closeness to Christ, is not worship. When you are a baby Christian, God gives you a lot of confirming emotions and often answers the most immature, self-centered prayers so you will know He exists. But as you grow in faith, He will win you of these dependencies. God's omnipresence and the manifestation of His presence are two different things. One is a fact, the other is often a feeling. God is always present, even when you are unaware of Him, and His presence is too profound to be measured by mere emotion. Yes, He wants you to sense His presence, but He is more concerned that you trust Him than that you feel Him. Faith, not feelings places God. The situations that will stretch your faith most will be those times when life falls apart and God is nowhere to be found. This happened to Job. On a single day he lost everything, his family, his business, his wealth, his health, and everything he owned. Most discouraging, for 37 chapters, God said nothing. How do you praise God when you don't understand what's happening in your life and God is silent? How do you stay connected in a crisis without communication? How do you keep your eyes on Jesus when they are full of tears? You do what Job did. Then be fell to, to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Tell God exactly how you feel. Pour out your heart to God, and load every emotion that you are feeling. Job did this when he said, I can't be quiet, I am angry and bitter, I have to speak. He cried out when God seemed distant. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. God can handle your doubt, anger, fear, grief, confusion and questions. Did you know that admitting your hopelessness to God can be a statement of faith? Trusting God but feeling despair at the same time, David wrote, I believed, so I said, I am completely ruined. This sounds like a contradiction. I trust God, but I am wiped out. David's frankness actually reveals deep faith. 
First, he believed in God. Second, he believed God would listen to his prayer. Third, he believed God would let him say what he felt and still love him. Focus on who God is and changing nature. Regardless of circumstances and how you feel, hang on to God's unchanging character. Remind yourself what you know to be eternally true about God. He is good. He loves me. He is with me. He knows what I am going through. He cares and he has a good plan for my life. V. Raymond Edmund said, Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. When Job's life fell apart and God was silent, Job still found things he could praise God for. That is good and loving. That he is all powerful. That he notices every detail of my life. That he is in control. That he has a plan for my life. That he will save me. Trust God to keep his promises. During times of spiritual dryness, you must patiently rely on the promises of God, not your emotions, and realize that he is taking you to a deeper level of maturity. A friendship based on emotion is shallow indeed. So don't be controlled by trouble. Circumstances cannot change the character of God. God's grace is still in full force. He is still for you even when you don't feel it. In the absence of confirming circumstances, Job held on to God's word. He said, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. This trust in God's word caused Job to remain faithful even though nothing made sense. His faith was strong in the midst of pain. God may kill me, but still I will trust him. When you feel abandoned by God, yet continue to trust him in spite of your feelings, you worship him in the deepest way. Remember what God has already done for you. If God never did anything else for you, he would still deserve your continued praise for the rest of your life because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. God's son died for you. This is the greatest reason for worship. Unfortunately, we forget the cruel details of the agonizing sacrifice God made on our behalf. Familiarity breeds complacency. Even before his crucifixion, the son of God was striped naked, beaten until most unrecognizable, whipped scorned and mocked, crowned with thorns and spit on contemptuously. Abused and ridiculed by heartless men, he was treated worse than an animal. Then, nearly unconscious from, from blunt loss, he was forced to drag a cumbersome cross up a hill. He was nailed to it and was left to die the slow, excruciating torture of death by crucifixion. While his livelihood drained out, Hecla stood by and shouted insults making fun of his pain and challenging his claim to be God. Next, as Jesus took all of mankind's sin and guilt on himself, God looked away from that ugly sight and Jesus cried out in total desperation, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus could have saved himself, but then he could not have saved you. Words cannot describe the darkness of that moment. Why did God allow and endure such ghastly evil mistreatment? Why? So you could be spared from eternity in hell, and so you could share his glory forever. The Bible says, Christ was without sin, but for our sake God made him share our sin in order that in union with him we might share the righteousness of God. Jesus gave up everything so you could have everything. He died so you could live forever. That alone is worthy of your continual thanks and praise. Never again should you wonder what you have to be thankful for. Thinking about my purpose.
point to ponder. God is real no matter how I feel. First to remember Hebrews 13:5. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Question to consider. How can I stay focused on God's presence especially when he feels distant? When you feel abandoned by God, yet continue to trust him, you worship him in the deepest way.